Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Talking to the other side, is it possible? I'm Tom Osborne. Welcome to U.S. World Report Radio, where each week our news team reviews what's happened in our country and around the world. Then we zero in on one topic for further discussion with our favorite panelists, Mary Saliba, our editorialist, and Dr. David Canervo, our resident historian and political scientist. I had to laugh as I was researching our topic for the day. I was immediately directed by search engines to reaching out to the other side in the sense of a spiritual journey. I'm referring to the other side here, of course, but certainly this is also a spiritual question that deals with our mutually shared humanity. America remains divided with each side entrenched. The people's business is not getting done. Common ground is long gone. We must equip ourselves then to deal with what will come as this continues, unless we learn how to talk to each other, to talk to the other side. Is it possible? Dr. Knervo, if I may turn to you as our resident political scientist, is it possible, always possible to find common ground? What are some of the exceptions? Well, thank you, Tom. I don't know that it's possible to always find common ground. Certainly there are some divides, I think, that are are too deep and too broad to, uh, to uh, transverse. And so it seems to me that uh, uh, there are some issues that uh, uh, simply uh, cannot be discussed very well between different sides. And, and one that comes to mind is the issue of abortion. It seems to me that uh, is often a very um, stark uh, issue in which you either favor um, choice for the woman to have that option to have an abortion, or you are uh, totally uh, anti-abortion. And we've seen that certainly in in some of the state laws and some of the statements that have been made over the years. So that's an issue I think that's very difficult to um, overcome. And and we've seen this issue uh, be prolonged for years and years and years um, because of that uh, intractability. Tom? As a follow-up, are there some situations in which you would warn against trying to find common ground? Well, I think there are some issues where it's it's virtually impossible to find common ground because they are uh, issues that are, are, for lack of a better term, just simply black and white. One of these is is truth, for example. Uh, It seems to me that uh, facts are facts. Now, we may dispute facts, I suppose, uh, and certainly we've seen that there are such things in the minds of some people's alternative facts. But uh, it, it seems to me that uh, most facts are verifiable or they would not be considered facts. And, and so it's a matter then of simply coming to uh, 
uh, acknowledge that certain things exist or don't exist. Uh, and, and many of these issues, I would think, are, are, are certainly moral issues as well, where people have very strong feelings uh, like abortion, where um, you, you simply do not see any kind of common ground at all. Uh, another would be uh, the uh, election challenges that uh, we've seen over the last uh, four or five months following the 2020 presidential election. The, um, the facts of the, are that uh, Republicans and Democrats alike, for example, in Arizona and in Georgia, believe that um, the results are what they were and that uh, there was no malfeasance, there was no trickery, there was no breaking of the law in regard to the counting of the votes and that they are uh, what they are, that there's nothing wrong with them. And yet there are those who still argue differently, as we see with this so-called audit going on in Arizona currently. So there are those kinds of issues, I think, which are are very dividing. And um, if people are unwilling to to come to any kind of common agreement on any of the facts, then um, I don't see a way to bridge it. Tom? Mary, one day at the UN, I was in line at lunch with a journalist friend from Iran, when he turned to me with a smile and asked, Do I look like a terrorist? I thought he must be kidding. I knew him not as the latest suicide bomber, but as a respected journalist in good standing and a gentle disposition, so I told him, Absolutely not. You do not look like a terrorist. But then I had to add, Very few do. We both laughed at this because at the UN we're all mixed up in many worlds, and so who really knows for sure? Mary, it seems that Americans have lost trust in each other. Everyone has the potential to be on the other side. How did we get to this point that we can look at half the American voting population and call them other? You know, we only know the profile of the last terrorist. Just as we prepare our defense with weapons from the last war's surprises. So your story reminded me, um, after 9-11, airport agents scrutinized men with a Middle Eastern complexion, searched for box cutters. And a sad example, my father and I had to fly to Arizona after the unexpected death of my younger brother. And already devastated, my father, who is tall with darker skin, he's Italian and Lebanese, was practically strip-searched until uh, the last two pairs of nail clippers were discovered in his bags. While I, having the same Lebanese last name, was just waved right through. And on the plane, I discovered that in my distraught and hasty packing, I had left my billy club-sized heavyweight Magnolite flashlight in my pocketbook, which I had, in fact, as a weapon because my job uh, entailed nighttime bank deposits. But nobody had harmed a pilot with that or looked like me. Um, Unfortunately... The fear of others is as old as our species. Once it was for survival, but now dehumanization is a political art form, with Hitler being a good example of how fear can be exploited. And the fact that this last administration 
was so extreme um, during a time of celebrity worship and entertainment consumption combined with poverty, unemployed people in old industries such as coal mines, mills, factories, the world changing into a global market, uh, clean energy sources. Um, so many people were left unprepared and untrained for these new industries and a large number of people felt unheard. And these people were spoken to by some of the most listened to commercial commentators on specifically Fox stations. Even as those speakers for the so-called little guy amassed fortunes doing so. And the last administration seized on that. Somebody with a long history of racism, misogyny, fraud, scandals. A celebrity, even though he'd been fired from his network for racist remarks, he was an image of success, regardless of his trail of bankruptcies and lawsuits. So the louder he was, the more outrageous his remarks, the more a great number of people found his lack of decency to mean that he was somehow authentic and believable, even as he was a pathological liar. And rather than free people from some idea of political correctness restraints, he unleashed an allowance to hate, reintroduced public shaming of women, immigrants, refugees, people of color, Jews, victims of sexual crimes, even his own. So just knowing that somebody supported that administration or was a fan of those commentators was enough to know that that person is somebody who would enable bigotry, lies, white supremacy, dehumanization of victims, uh, in short, somebody who in 1939 in Germany might have been a Nazi. It's like looking at someone and seeing that in Germany in 1939, this neighbor that we've always spoken to would have been a Nazi. That one that would murder me, you. And that's, that kind of feeling got cemented in our pandemic isolation. As a follow-up. Where is this taking us? Is it possible to learn to talk to each other again, or is that lost forever? I don't think it's lost forever. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I've been guilty of avoiding conversations about these issues with those uh, across the great gulch. I'm very emotional, easily overwhelmed, and in a parallel universe, I imagine being an attorney for the ACLU, but if I were a lawyer, I'd lose every case for my client. Miranda rights were just designed for people like me. But in the last few years, part of it um, has been for my own mental health. And I think a lot of people feel this way. The rage involved with hearing people speak complete untruths, support absurd conspiracies with absolutely no chance of having a meaningful discussion with them just seemed finally futile, or at least um, beyond my ability. Um, this, the solidity of the, the convictions of the so-called other side reminds me of a cult, and I believe it is. The movement no longer makes sense or even pretends to. It's its own thing. Reminds me of a fundamentalist church camp I attended with my childhood best friend. Um, had very good french fries, carpeted cabins, good singing, but this was her faith, not mine. And even as a child without really any experience with Bible-based teachings, I knew that the, the spirit of Christianity was supposed to be brotherly love. And we were being directly told 
to avoid anyone who did not subscribe to this strict set of rules, even our own parents. And anyone who spoke to us was not part of this saved club, um, was an agent of the devil. And anything they said was meant to tempt us. And if we were strong, we would ignore it. And this is how it seems with anyone still siding with the fraudulent claims of a stolen election and vaccine conspiracies. Democrats are playing the role of Lucifer's agents in this cult and nothing, no science, no fact, no numbers. I, I think reprogramming of a population is needed. You're listening to U.S. World Report Radio, where we're discussing talking to the other side. Is it possible? We have to take a short break, but we'll be back with much more right after this. Welcome back to U.S. World Report. I'm Tom Osborne with Mary Saliba and Dr. David Canervo. There are so many divisions, Republican versus Democrat, big business versus environmentalists, rural versus urban America, climate skeptics versus advocates, and of course, vaccine and anti-vaccine. Dr. Canervo, with all that stands between us, it seems impossible to overcome the great divide. Is it possible that America will divide in some permanent fashion? What precedents are there for this to happen? I don't know that we'll divide permanently, but I think certainly there are options for us to divide for long periods of time. Certainly, we have seen the divide over the last uh, decade, really, of different people looking at things in society from quite different perspectives and being unable to really reach agreement or talk to one another about it. Whether this will exist uh, forever is something I, I sincerely doubt, but it's going to be a matter of people changing their their views and, and willing to overcome the, the divide that does exist. It seems to me that uh, the way to overcome those divides is a, a couple of things. Number one, to learn more about each other. Uh, what I recall is uh, summer camps over the last several years in which Palestinian and, and Jewish children are brought together to learn about each other. And they do that by playing games, talking with one another, getting to know each other on a very personal level. And those sorts of interactions, I think, are one way of trying to understand each other, understand where they're, they're coming from, and each other getting to know the perspective of the other uh, much better. And so it's those kinds of interactions, I think. And, I, and also, uh, secondly, I would argue, uh, trying to find small things that you can agree on and work together on. They may not be related at all to the issues that bring the major divide between the two people or two groups, but there might be other kinds of issues where there is some sort of agreement. It seems to me, for example, in the United States, infrastructure ought to be one of those issues. 
it seems to me Republicans, Democrats alike, ought to want to rebuild the infrastructure of this country. Now, of course, part of the problem is uh, what is infrastructure? And the Democrats uh, are looking at uh, social infrastructure, daycare, those sorts of things, as well as uh, hard nuts and bolts infrastructure like sewers and, and streets. And one way of overcoming that, it seems to me, might be to split that topic into two different ones. Instead of having one all-encompassing infrastructure bill, perhaps Biden and the Democrats will need to split it into two, one dealing with the, the hard, literally concrete infrastructure, and secondly, dealing with social infrastructure, which may or not may or may not be quite so successful. Tom? As a follow-up doctor, who is most to blame for the Great Divide? And isn't it time for the federal government to take a stand responding to those states who have vowed to suppress voting in American elections? Well, I suspect that uh, both sides are, are somewhat uh, to, to blame. There's been, uh, I think, a history of uh, back and forth between the two sides one trying to to punish the other and the other then responding somewhat in kind. If we go back to the uh, Watergate, of course, there we, we developed a consensus over the fact that perhaps Richard Nixon had to go as president. But then we got to Bill Clinton and Republicans pushed Bill Clinton's impeachment and, and sought to uh, go after him. And I can't help but believe there's at least some of that was a response to, to Watergate and, and the Democrats attacking Nixon. And then following that, of course, we have the Democrats seeking to impeach uh, Donald Trump. So we have this tit for tat, uh, back and forth um, behavior, one trying to get the other perhaps in response to something that happened earlier from the other side. There has to be a, a point at which we stop this and decide that the country and society um, are not benefiting from that kind of response and reaction from the two sides, and that they need to look beyond their own egos and look beyond their own self-interest and look at what's truly good for the country, and reach some agreement on that point. Tom? Mary, can you think of a personal experience where you were able to overcome an impossible divide between you and another person? I'm trying to educate myself so that I can be empathic to why somebody may cling to something that seems ludicrous. And it, it kind of comes back, I think, to hope. I, I don't think that Generally, people want harm um, for other people, but they just want to protect themselves from harm, protect their families from harm. And how does that play into listening to uh, somebody who is exploiting them, a, a con man and, and his enablers? So um, that aside, uh, I... I did have this one friend uh, from college, my age, and she voted for the other side in the first election. And 
Um, others in, in our little group were of different ethnic backgrounds, gay, etc. And they were horrified and stopped speaking to her. And I had a hard time with this. And I realized that her friendship was more valuable to me than who she voted for. At some point, I reminded her that at one time she said, you know, we all want the same things. How we get them is different. And she said, did I really say that? And I said, yes, you did. I heard her say that in a speech when she won a Tony Award for, for uh, education. She was one of the Parkland teachers. I, I do think that some of her views have changed, but I, I don't know. I don't know specifically. However, our friendship is solid and pure. But the baseline is that we are friends and we love each other. And a lot of this is just noise. And we need to focus on understanding each other. Mary, isn't it time for Americans to be re-educated relative to American democracy? It seems that we can't move forward until we all agree on some basic facts about our country and society. It is too long overdue, possibly too long overdue. Uh, so long as we have this division and so many elected officials supporting disinformation, uh, unfortunately, I believe that most of those politicians in Congress who enabled a corrupt administration know better. Um, and they do it because it serves them personally. And if we don't establish some guidelines for misinformation on social media, on television, which can be done without compromising freedom of speech, why can't we have a standard for what is called news, for example? And I say it every week, but we need campaign finance reform. It's essential to weeding out the profiteering exploiters who would allow such a destroyer of our country and lives to continue his inhumane treatment of our lives, our democracy, our health, all for the sake of getting the money from big donors and special in interest groups, even foreign dictators who wish us harm. Our history books need to be rewritten. Our teachers need to be trained. Um, we need a movement to celebrate what we are, what we could be, with the knowledge of where we came from and how we got here, the good, the bad, the ugly, and that goodness can emerge, has emerged. You're listening to U.S. World Report Radio. We're discussing talking to the other side. Is it possible? We have to take a short break, but we'll be back with much more right after this. Welcome back to U.S. World Report. I'm Tom Osborne with Mary Saliba and Dr. David Canervo, and we're talking about reaching the other side. Can we learn to talk to each other? Dr. Canervo, can you think of a personal experience where you were able to overcome an impossible divide between you and another person? Well, I don't know that the divide was overcome, but at least I think it was partially breached. 
it seems to me that uh, my response, uh, perhaps with colleagues who I have found it difficult to work with because of uh, personality conflicts, that um, where we were able to work together and, and be collegial is on the smaller things that exist. Issues that uh, are, are not uh, terribly important, issues that uh, allow us to be congenial with one another without uh, uh, delving into major issues that uh, cause the conflict or differences between us. And it seems to me that's that's where the solution lies, that you, you kind of compartmentalize things. You compartmentalize the, the, the major big issue that divides you, try to put it aside, lock it away, and then deal with the rest of life and the rest of the, the, the work environment uh, as best you can without uh, getting into those big issues that uh, are the problem. And I suspect members of Congress uh, certainly do talk about doing the same sort of thing, trying to find issues where they can agree, where they can work together. Though at the same time, that's not been terribly successful to this point. But uh, it requires a willingness to do that, a willingness to uh, compartmentalize uh, issues and your feelings so that uh, you can work together as best possible on, uh, on some even though you cannot on others. Tom? Dr. Canervo, there are those in this country who really do want to divide us and to dismantle our democracy as we know it. Should we be getting tougher with these folks and be more on the offensive in our approach to national unity, particularly with those who threaten violence? Of course, uh, violence has no um, business in this country of being accepted but for, for any reason. It seems to me that uh, where those seek to divide us, um, we have to offer a, a bit of tolerance. I'm a very strong believer in the First Amendment, and we need to um, continue to permit freedom of expression, uh, the freedom to congregate, freedom to um, petition government. And while those are, are certainly important, they can and must be done peaceably. The First Amendment requires peaceful demonstration and peaceful petition of government. Where violence occurs, where violence is advocated, it seems to me that uh, we perhaps need to be tougher with those folks. But saying that, I don't want us to overstep either. I don't want us to have some sort of Gestapo where we, we go out and try to break up demonstrations or we what some would call proactive and, and arrest leaders before anything really happens. And so I'm, I'm very wary of that sort of thing occurring. And so it's it, democracies have this very fine balance that must be maintained between free expression on the one hand, even when the uh, expression is abhorrent to, uh, to many of us. But at the same time, we need to also protect the structures of government for everyone, so that uh, no small group can destroy the democracy and overcome it to the detriment of everyone else. Tom? Mary, was there ever a time when we were united as Americans? When was that, and why was it so? If you would ask me that, uh, even five years ago, I might have answered it 
automatically and differently. But now I, I say, who is we, really? The myth of America? I know it varies with each generation. In mine, at least until high school, it was a very tight outline of who discovered America um, and somehow illogically um, uh, fighting Native Americans, vaguely understood to be wanting to harm the nice settlers, slaves, but then they were freed. What if we is all of us, every single one of us? So if that's so, then no, there was never a time of a united we. That doesn't mean there couldn't be. Though an easier example might be to say when we were all at war with a common enemy, such as Hitler. But this might have been different um, if geography had been different and the war was fought at home. And tough questions of who stands for what may have emerged more prominently. Even then, though, were the innocent Japanese Americans who were sent to camps here in America, one here in my own state, um, united with those who sent them there. And there are other times, such as 9-11, but again, I think the idea of a we is entirely subjective. And the unity I see, I see, cannot be the same as an Arab American who was wrongly targeted after those attacks or tortured for information he or she didn't have. Mary, it seems ignorance of our own religion gets us into lots of trouble. How big a factor is religion in our divide? Are we suffering a national spiritual crisis of sorts? And do we need more religion, or is religion the problem? Uh, both. Uh, religious organizations often run like big businesses and governments, corruption and cover-ups to preserve the leaders, the power and money of the organization. We've seen it with the Catholic Church, Scientology, Latter-day Saints, Evangelicals, Congress, and of course, uh, you know, current issues um, in the courts right now, Roe v. Wade, uh, is, is terrifying. Um, and religion and the power of the evangelical movement and their votes and their money has everything to do with uh, problems in the country. And I think instead of bringing people closer to each other and to God or a benevolent spirit, you know, to peace, these uh, organized religions become a barrier, following rules set by leaders, mostly men, but, but leaders. And there are victims. Even the concept of kindness to all mankind is a victim. We are definitely a country with a spiritual crisis. We've become afraid of who we are and... Or maybe we always were that. It's just more apparent now. And uh, we're hiding from our own truth, our country's truth. And we have become the worst of ourselves. You're listening to U.S. World Report Radio, where we're discussing talking to the other side. Is it possible? We have to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll hear some summary thoughts from our panelists.
Welcome back to U.S. World Report. I'm Tom Osborne with Mary Saliba and Dr. David Canervo. We're talking about reaching the other side. Can we learn to talk to each other? Mary, your final thoughts. Uh, Well, this will be very unpopular with my father. And thank you, David, for allowing the word compartmentalization because I do compartmentalize um, his... uh, Uh, certain beliefs that are not mine. And so he wouldn't like this if he heard it. Um, uh, And that I've come to see that um, winner takes all capitalism where fewer and fewer people make the rules that govern our lives and most basic needs is designed to exploit us. And only when we all have our basic needs met and stop fearing others, uh, different people, stop elbowing each other for our ability to live and our human right when we all have them that is the beginning to finding peace on a hopeful note while the pandemic isolation uh helped us to solidify the monster making uh of others along with our brains and our fears um i have just returned from a trip my first trip since a year of isolating and I am hopeful again it was quite nourishing I um, had come to think of the country as divided into enemy factions which is unbelievable to me I've never thought such things you know Michigan and Atlanta danger zones strife you know um, and uh, I had to get on an airplane and be exposed to actual people. I had to go through the Detroit airport and Atlanta, and I saw other human beings who were not, you know, packing ammunition and AK-47s and marching toward, you know, the destruction of a Democratic governor. And it was it was very helpful. And one of the things I did in California was go to a graduation at USC, which is a very expensive, um, ex- elite, although big university. And I was inspired by these speakers, these students. First of all, it was so diverse. Um, they, they named every student. There were 14 ceremonies and there were 1,200 at the one I went to. They named each student and they had, uh, they pronounced every name uh, properly, which was pre, you know, pre-designed. Um, and the tall, blonde, rich surfer dude was the absolute minority. There was an unbelievable diverse population in this school. And the student speakers, there were two valedictorians because this was for 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic. And they were so fiercely hopeful and positive but firm it wasn't just oh you know follow your dreams it was we have to do this and this and this and be inclusive and um they weren't afraid of change they were the change and i was fascinated by that because all these people especially in my own brain in my own house during the pandemic it seemed that there were you know, the the liberals, and then there were these, you know, pockets of others and afraid of change. And, and, and I realized that the change has already happened. 
I am very much more hopeful now. I am less hopeful for the generation, the older generations who are already cemented in a belief system that is rooted in a reality that doesn't exist anymore, if it ever did. So um, I would like to offer the hope that we can go out and talk to people and learn about people and talk to them and yes, compartmentalize if we need to, so that we can get to know people on not just this one rigid level and come to a greater understanding of what we want. Because as my friend Mel said, we all want the same things. And I think the majority of people do. And that is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, cue the song. Thank you. David? Um, Tom, it seems to me that the, the major tenets of the great religions in the world are, are those which advocate peace among people and love, respect, admiration, and it seems to me those are the places to start, that they, they sound simplistic. But at the same time, as we talked about earlier in the program, we start with small steps. And it, it's a matter, I think, of uh, somehow overcoming our own individual egos and collectively the egos of a group and trying to work with others as much as possible for a greater good, for a community good. I know that uh, one of the strong tenets in our own philosophy as Americans is individual freedom. And while individual freedom is certainly important and, and needs to be preserved, um, it's not an all or nothing uh, a philosophy. It seems to me we have to have some compromises. We give a little here, give a little there, in order to allow others to not only have their freedom, but also uh, to benefit in the goods of society that we all want. We may not uh, want to, to give in here to allow someone to do this or to do that, but at the same time, uh, that's for the benefit of all people. So just in sum, it seems to me that uh, we need to be uh, more selfless as, as individuals. We need to be more um, willing to look at others and to give them the kinds of uh, uh, support that uh, they deserve so that we can all work together in common. Tom? It seems cultural unity is most important. Having a strong belief in our family and being blessed with leaders who avoid finger-pointing and blaming. And we need to hire the right people, both in public office and behind the store counter. Well, that's all the time we have this week. We thank you for listening to U.S. World Report. We hope you'll join us in two weeks for our next report. And keep a lookout for U.S. World Report on TV, on our own YouTube channel, to be announced. We'll keep you posted. I'm Tom Osborne, with thanks to Mary Saliba and Dr. David Canervo, and our executive producer, Faisal Khan. We'll see you in two weeks.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.